How many of you were here uh, when I was here two years ago? Good. I'm really excited about this week. Looking forward to getting to know you guys and uh, hearing what you're dealing with. I want to start with the question, how convinced are you that what you believe is really true? Are you so convinced that what you believe is true that you're willing to die for what you believe? I'm going to start by showing you just how much your beliefs matter. By walking through the last days of three different men who were so convinced that what they believed was true, that they were willing to die for that belief. The first man I want to look at, his name was Muhammad Adda. He was born in Egypt. He studied to become an engineer. In his mid-twenties, he had a deeply spiritual experience where he came to know the God of Muhammad, the Muslim God named Allah. He became so enamored with this God, who was so holy, had such a hatred for evil, he made two pilgrimages to Mecca. This God, Allah of his, hates infidelity, hates idolatry, which to him includes anybody who worships a false god, a triune god, to the Muslim mind is a, as an idol. It's a false god. And so this true god, Allah, hates infidels with such a passion that he actually commands Muslims to kill the infidels. And he promises that if you die while in the war against infidels, that you will be given a form of heaven that is paradise. Muhammad Adda met a man by the name of Osama bin Laden and they had a plot to attack the whole culture of infidels, which was the United States. He secretly came into the United States, learned how to fly a plane. Now what I want you to consider is on the morning of September 11, 2001, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of Muhammad Adda and think, what is it like when you wake up that morning and you review your plans that you are going to be a pilot that flies the plane into one of the World Trade Tower Center, center Towers? Muhammad wrote in his journal, renew the oath to die. Remind yourself of paradise that is coming to be soon. The day before, he went to Walmart and Pizza Hut. Some of his other cohorts went to much seedier places, had hard drink, renewed their hatred for this, the vileness that Americans celebrate. 8.30 he got on a plane in Maine, waited for the signal, and then after some bloodshed, he took the controls of the plane. I want you to picture yourself driving this huge plane. You turn the plane around and you head for New York. As you're sitting there waiting, do you start to question your beliefs? 
Is it possible I have this backwards that maybe Christians are right? Maybe Jews are right? Maybe the atheists are right? Man, if, if the Jewish God is the real God, I'm not going to enter paradise. I'm going to enter a much worse fate. But as that tower, you, you notice it, it's just a little speck on the horizon. What goes through your mind as you start questioning your beliefs? Or do you shut your brain off, just repeat a mantra, Allah is God, Allah be praised. The towers grow exponentially in size. You flinch and your world erupts into a ball of flames. What do you experience when your heart stops beating, when your body is disintegrated? Do you encounter nothingness, consciousness, that the, maybe the atheists are right? Or do you encounter paradise? I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about two other high school students named Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. They went to a high school near Littleton, Colorado. Dylan was tall. Dylan was very much a depressive. Dylan believed in a god, a distant god. Dylan, at different times in his life, tried to make himself a better person. Tried to stop pornography. Tried to be nicer to people. There were so many times in Dylan's life that he wanted to commit suicide because he was so enraged at how hard his life had been. But he still believed that there was this possibility that if he killed himself, he would enter a hell. And that prevented him from doing anything drastic. Eric Harris, on the other hand, was a military brat. His dad was a Marine. Both these young men came from good homes. But Eric had a, a growing distaste for how stupid humans were. Everywhere he went, it seems like humans were doing stupid things, treating him wrongly. Hate just started growing his life. When he was 15 or 16, he actually had this fantasy of all the humans being extinct. And on his online dating once, he actually asked a girl, so if you and I were the only humans left on the earth, would you choose to repopulate with me or would you choose extinction? The girl typed back, extinction. And Eric thought, this girl's perfect. Eric was caught and Dylan, they were caught for theft, stealing some electronic equipment from a van. This hardened Dylan and Eric against the stupidity of society. This treatment that Eric went through changed the outside. He became, he learned all the right lingo, he learned how to lie, he learned exactly what to tell his parole officers, the people who were in charge of rehabilitating him. But his journals reveal just full of foul language, this hatred for humanity. Dylan did not believe in the existence of God. Dylan was enamored with atheism. Dylan admired, I mean Eric, I'm sorry, Eric admired Nazis, that Hitler power, that its might makes right. 
Eric thought humans were nothing more than chemicals and numbers. Eric and Dylan would play this computer game called Doom, where he actually could manipulate the graphics of this computer game. So if there was someone he hated, he could have this fantasy of, of, of killing them with this game. Eric, on the outside, was becoming a responsible young man. He took two jobs, he was saving up money. But Eric was learning how to make pipe bombs and acquiring money for guns. Eric and Dylan started this plan that was going to be doomsday. Eric wrote it was going to be bigger than the Holocaust and Vietnam and World War II altogether. It was going to make them immortal. Eric and Dylan started to see themselves as gods and that they were took great offense at whoever slighted them. Eric continued to hate country music, people who said expresso. He hated the WB channel. He just had this growing fury and hatred for life. But they had this plan where they were going to first set off propane bombs in their neighborhood at around 1110 April in 1999 that was going to bring all the emergency, emergency vehicles to their neighborhood. Then they were going to go to their high school, smuggle in two more propane bombs. They had calculated when the maximum human density of people would be in the cafeteria. They thought right around 1118, there's going to be about 450 people in the cafeteria. They brought their cars, they were going to smuggle in the bombs, bring their cars, more bombs in there, wait till the bombs went off, and then go in there with a sawed-off shotgun and a semi-automatic pistol and kill any survivors. They had planned to kill a couple thousand people. They had monitored other school shootings which ended up killing in the single digits. They were going to do something that would forever immortalize themselves. Their bomb by themselves, by their neighborhood, didn't go off. The bombs in the cafeteria didn't go off. Finally, they went in with their trench coats. Eric Harris wore a t-shirt that said, Natural Selection. Dylan wore a t-shirt that said, Wrath. They said this was their wrath against the stupid filth of humanity would be godlike. They started opening fire, open firing on their classmates. Killed Rachel Scott, killed another man. Just before they went in, there was a man named Patrick, and Eric said, I like you today, Patrick. Get out of here. Go home. They set off such incredible terror in that Columbine High School. Going through that randomly killing, maiming, paralyzing, shooting, A girl by the name of Cassie Burnell was sitting under a table in the library with her friend. Eric Harris poked his head under peekaboo, ended her life. Dylan Claybold was walking along. He saw a, a, a familiar face under one of the tables. He said, who is that? He said, it's J John, John, John Savage. Dylan said, I know him. He said, what are you doing, Dylan? Dylan said, oh, just killing people. John said, are you going to kill me, Dylan? Dylan said, not today. 
get out of here, run. John Savage ran out of that high school knowing how short life was. Dylan and Eric injured 24 people. They killed 13 other people. Then they sat in that library and on 1208 they pointed their guns at themselves. What goes through your mind as Eric and Dylan just before you, you pull that trigger? What goes through your mind while you're watching human flesh blown everywhere? What goes through your mind to Dylan when he had that exchange with this person that he actually knew and it wasn't just a mindless, it wasn't just chemical matter he was talking to. He was talking to someone he knew. Did he have a moment of regret, a moment of fear about maybe those old fears of hell kind of revived in him? What did Eric and Dylan face when they ended their life on earth? Did they find out they were correct and there was nothingness? Or did they face some kind of divine retribution? Final person I want to look at is named Jim Elliott. He lived in the 50s. He was a wrestler. Jim Elliott was so convinced that Jesus Christ was ultimate reality. That Jesus Christ was the one he would stand before on Judgment Day. He was transformed by the love of Christ, that he wanted to take Christ's love to the farthest parts of the world, to the most unreached people. His friends thought, Eric, I mean, uh, who am I talking about? Jim Elliot. You know, Jim, you should stay in this safe United States, be a youth pastor. You'd be great with teens. Jim looked around and said, no, we are so well fed in North America. I want to I wanna take this faith to the Alka Indians. Cannibals. Headhunters. They've never heard the message. Eric, I mean, Jim married Elizabeth Elliot and had a two-year-old daughter, and they set out, they learned as much about the language of the Alka Indians as they could. They made contact with a couple Indians. They actually gave one of them a ride in the plane. They did everything in their possibility to convince that they came in peace, that they brought a message of peace, that they were friends. We don't know all that happened, whether there was a, they had been lied about what the word for friend was, but there was a communication breakdown. And as Jim Elliott and his four other young men waited there for contact with these Indians, they saw these Indians come and it, wasn't, it became clear pretty quickly that these Indians were not coming in friendship. They were coming with spears. These men, Jim and his four friends, had guns. They could have saved their lives. But in their view of reality, they were prepared to meet God. The Indians weren't. So they kept their guns under wrap and they took the spears. What goes through your mind as Jim Elliot in your last hours when you see one spear miss you, you see another spear coming, you try to move, but it gets you right in the midsection? searing pain goes through your body and you collapse in the water and you start to suffocate. What goes through your mind? Are you convinced 
You're going to meet Jesus? Do you wonder? Did I just make a colossal mistake? Jim had said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, we're all going to die. We can't keep this life. He's no fool who gives up this life to gain an eternal treasure that cannot be taken away. What goes through your mind? What do you as Jamelia face in that next life? The reason I, I dwell on this is because there's an idea in this culture that the important thing is to just believe. That it doesn't matter what you believe. Nobody can tell you what to believe. The important thing is that you just believe. Atheists accuse all Christians of, and they accuse the very nature of being a Christian as embracing irrational beliefs. To the militant atheists, we're like the queen of hearts in the Alice in Wonderland stories. Where she said, you can believe impossible things if you just practice. Why, I got so good at it, I once believed 100 impossible things before breakfast. Is that what it means to believe? We just sang this song, we believe in God the Father, we believe in the crucifixion, we believe in the resurrection, we believe that he's given us new life. Now to the uh, atheist, we're just repeating this mantra because we know that if we, if we look at reality, these things aren't, aren't clear. So we have to just convince ourselves that what we believe is true. What you believe dramatically affects your behavior. You could see the actions of Muhammad Atta, Eric and Dylan, and Jim Elliott. Their beliefs differed, and the outcomes of their behavior was very different because of their beliefs. I want to ask you, why should you believe anything at all? What's a good reason for believing something? Should you believe something because it makes you happy? Should you believe something because you like it? Should you believe something, well, because that's what everybody at your high school believes. Should you believe something just, well, this is what my mom and dad told me to believe. Should you believe something because your spiritual leader told you to believe it? Should you believe it because you found it on the internet? I like the fact that you're giggling. I'd be a little worried about you if you weren't. Some of you are waffling. Well, I don't know if it's on the internet. I'm pretty sure it's true. Why should you believe something? The only reason you should believe something is because it's true. Now what does it mean for something to be true? It means that what you believe in your head lines up with what is out in, this wor out in the world. I believe that there's an exit sign right there. It says in green letters, exit. It's there. It's a true belief. If I believed that there is a big purple dinosaur here, <laughs> well, you wouldn't know if what I believe is, is true. Maybe I see something that's real that you don't. If I believe that the world is round, 
I don't believe it because it makes me comfortable or because I think it's so cool to believe in a round earth. I believe in a round earth because the evidence has convinced me that that's the way the world really is. It's popular for people to say today, well, that might be true for you, but it's, it's not true for me. Or they say, it's arrogant to claim that you know the truth. Or it's arrogant for you to think that what I believe is false. Is truth, is truth relative? You know, and there's one way that truth is relative. When we're talking about subjective truth. If I say pistachio ice cream tastes excellent. Some of you maybe don't like pistachio ice cream. So, it's true for me that pistachio ice cream tastes good. It's false for you. So, it's relative, right? Truth is relative. That's a subjective truth because we're not actually talking about pistachio ice cream in that statement. Even though it sounds like we're talking about pistachio ice cream, what are we talking about? We're actually talking about the person tasting it. It's a subjective truth. It's about the subject. When you say the earth revolves around the sun, you're making an objective claim. Because it doesn't matter whether you like that or dislike that. It's an objective claim that we can go test. That's not a relative truth. It can't be true for me that the earth revolves around the sun and false for you. Because it doesn't line up with reality. Now the question we need to ask is this whole area of faith, religious beliefs, the question of God, are these examples of subjective truths where you can go around picking whatever ideas about God you like, picking whatever religious ideas you like? Some people in today's pluralistic society, so you used to be, grow up surrounded by either Lutherans or surrounded by Catholics, and you never got out much. You might meet some really odd person who claimed to be an atheist, or you might run across some really weird person called a Hindu something. But today, in your high school, in your social media, you are surrounded by a wide variety of beliefs. Atheists claim, well, you're only a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. If you were born into a Muslim family, you'd be a Muslim. Who are you to say what you believe is true and what the Muslim believes is false? Is this what religion is? Just something we can pick and choose? Are we in this, some people picture it like a, a religious supermarket. So to them, you know, the produce section is like Christianity. Christianity believes in, in new life. Judaism believes in animal sacrifice in order to be made right with God. So Judaism is the meat department. Islam takes a mixture of Judaism and Christianity, corrupts it, mixes it all together and comes up with their own. So that's kind of like a bakery. So that's where the, the bakery is, is the Islam section. Hindus believe in multiple gods for whatever ailment you have. So they're like the cold cereal section where each box has its own god in it. On the box it says, collect all 300,000. Now, Buddhists believe that rationality is an illusion and the fact that we're trying to make sense of this illusion is the cause of human suffering. And the answer 
is to give up desire, to give up rationality, just to shut your mind off. So Buddhism is represented by the guy pushing himself around in the cart, trying to listen to the sound of one hand clapping. That's an actual Buddhist exercise. When the sound of one hand clapping becomes clear, you will be at peace. You can try that for a long time. I did. It doesn't work. <laughs> now the atheists in this... <laughs> there it goes. Buddhism is true. <laughs> Either that or you need some WD-40. <laughs> now the atheists is in this story can't find anything. Is this an accurate picture of what religion is? Because the vast majority of people think that this is all religion is. You just go on your little spiritual search and you pick and choose whatever you like. Well, you know, I, re I really like the fact that Christianity has a God of love. That's kind of cool. I like that there's forgiveness if I mess up. I don't really like the fact that there's hell in Christianity. So I'm, I'm going to take the God of love, but I'm going to get rid of the whole thing about hell. I, I like the, the Muslim idea of God as, as one God. I, I just can't wrap my head around that, that trinity thing. I think that what the atheists teach about science, I think that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to be kind of a Muslim slash Christian slash atheist. That's, that's going to be my religious belief. Because that's what I like. Is that a faith that's going to give you strength? Is that a faith that's going to give you courage? Is that a faith that's going to transform your behavior? It's going to answer your questions. I think a more accurate picture of what religion is, is it's acknowledging that we humans have a problem. This world is not the way it should be, that we are full of brokenness and hurt, that this world is screwed up. There's a problem with this world. I want you to picture, it's, it's wasp season. There's wasps out there. I do not like wasps. Especially after a few years ago, my wife was the speaker at a all-girl junior high camp. And I was the only guy at the camp out. And I had a wasp fly up my shorts. Talk about socially awkward. Because the most available solution to the problem was not ethically sensitive at the time. Being surrounded by junior high girls. So I, I discreetly started slapping myself, which... <laughs> It didn't work. I, I made it to an outhouse. I only got stung twice. Thankfully, I'm not allergic to wasp stings. Some people are. I want you to imagine that you have been stung by a wasp, and to your horror, you find out you're having an anaphylactic reaction. That means you are swelling so, fastly, so fast that it's going to cut off your ability to breathe. Now, you have friends of different persuasions gather around you and go, wow, one friend says, you are gaining weight. Wow. I know this person who went off gluten and started losing a bunch of weight. I suggest you go off gluten. 
Another friend says, no, I read an article about this. It's because of the aspartame in her diet. Another person says, no, you just, it's her heart malfunctioning. And I read somewhere that dark chocolate is really good for the heart. Just go have dark chocolate. Another friend is saying, are you serious? No, you're dying. You need an EpiPen. Quickly, run to the nurse, get an EpiPen. And another friend says, are you serious? You think you're going to stick a needle into your leg or worse? That's going to hurt. Look, all these people, they're all wrong. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just pick the belief that's right for you. But you don't like the whole steel being put in your body thing. You do like dark chocolate. So you go, you know what, I think what's right for me is dark chocolate. Unfortunately, you don't get to finish your dark chocolate because you chose wrong. The stakes are high, people. You are in high school. You are a few years from leaving the nest. You are going to start making your own choices about what you believe, about how this world works, about what's the way to find fulfillment. How are you going to pick your beliefs? Are you going to pick your beliefs just based on what feels good to you, based on just what everybody else is believing? What happens if you choose wrong? You know, there's a real problem on college campuses of guys who ask women out on dates, they put a drug into the drink that they buy for them. The woman passes out after drinking it. She believes that this drink is safe. She acts on her belief. Turns out it was a false belief. And she ends up drugged and violated. Maybe she dies. Maybe she bears the scars, emotional scars, trauma for the rest of her life because she believed wrongly about something. You know, that's a picture of what Satan does to you. You have a world out there that's telling you about sex, about religion, about what makes you happy, about what makes you fulfilled. And Satan has taken so many of these beliefs and spiked them. Beliefs like homosexual, if you think you're a homosexual, the only way you'll find fulfillment is in a homosexual relationship. Beliefs about pornography, that that's the way to actually be fulfilled is to look at pictures. These are beliefs that Satan has spiked, that he gets people addicted to, and then he violates them, and people wake up in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and they go, where did I go wrong? Where did my life go? How did I end up in this jail cell? How did I end up in rehab? How did I end up so addicted to this mess? How did I end up in complete isolation after divorce? How did I end up here with my body full of 
holes from drugs, so addicted, shaking, trying to beat the habit, and I can't. How did I end up here? And they go, I wish I had the chance to go back to my high school years and make a whole bunch of different choices. They don't have that opportunity. God has a grace for them. God can save them. But something so valuable has been lost. You guys get the opportunity that the drug addict, the divorced pedophile in prison, does not get. You have your life ahead of you. You have the choice to choose wisely. You know, in the Old Testament, if you read the book of Proverbs, I would encourage you sometime in your quiet time to just read the first three chapters of Proverbs. You see Solomon urging people, in all you're getting, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore in all you're getting, get wisdom. Choose understanding. They'll keep you from the path of death, from bad company, from the immoral woman whose paths lead to death. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a right knowledge about this world that you act in accordance with. Because what you believe about God is going to affect your beliefs. It's going to affect how you act. If you believe that God's this stern God who is saying, you better keep my list of moral requirements or it's hell for you. You are going to live in fear. You're going to start living your, your life in doing the best you can and knowing you're not measuring up. This is going to produce fear, insecurity, guilt. You're going to grow to hate God like Martin Luther who tried probably harder than just about any other human to please God on his own strength. Sometimes spending four or five hours in the confessional, confessing the most minute things because in his view, God was a holy God and it was a terrifying thing to meet this God. But Luther said, love God? I hate God. I hate that I hate God, but I hate God. If you believe in a, a distant God, a watchmaker God who doesn't care about what you do, in your moments of temptation, you're going to care what God goes or you're just going to go with the flow. Whatever feels good in the moment, you're going to do it. What if you buy this naturalistic, atheistic view of the world that there is no judgment, that we're all just matter, that once we die, we all go into the box and that's the end of the story. That's going to dramatically change how your life. Why would you give up any type of beautiful Sunday morning to go to church when this life is so short and there's boating, there's sensual movie you want to watch, pleasure, pleasure, that's all you want. You know, Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Jesus Christ did not actually rise from the dead, we Christians are to be pitied above all men. He didn't say, look, just believe. He said, look, if this is just a belief in your head and this isn't reality, you are wasting your life. 
That's so different than the type of Christianity being peddled today. A lot of people, their evangelistic appeals are, things go better with Jesus. Jesus can take away your problems. Jesus can make you feel good. Try Jesus. Just give Jesus a try. Like they're selling you some product. And the reason I make this distinction at the beginning of my talks here is because I do not want you to think that I am trying to just sell you my ideas. I'm not just trying to convince you that pistachio ice cream tastes great. I'm trying to get you to consider your life. You know, you are the ones who have to live with your choices. You can tune me out, you can tune out your cabin leaders, you can sleep through chapel, you can do whatever you want, but you are the one who has to wake up from the consequences of your choices. This is your life. What you believe matters. I believe, why does, why does it matter what you believe? If you just, isn't just feeling good all that matters? Why do I even have to wrestle with this? I believe, based on reason and evidence, but I believe that this world was created by a good God who is kind and loving beyond our wildest imaginations. I believe that's the ultimate reality. But I also believe that in this story, there was an enemy who rebelled, and that humans fell from this God. And ever since then, the Satan who rebelled against God's authority, he's the father of lies, which means ever since then, he has been peddling, trying to create in people a false view of reality. He's trying to convince people that the drink of rebellion against God isn't tainted, but it's spiked, and it's going to ruin your soul. Satan is the father of lies. So we have one power in the universe trying to create an unreality. The person behind this false reality, his heart is black and full of hatred, the same hatred that motivated Dylan and Eric to wipe out and kill human life. And at the heart of reality, the heart of truth, is a good God who is kind. So whenever you are entering an unreality, you are entering into the clutches of one who hates you and wants to enslave you and wants to destroy you. And anytime you move closer to embracing ultimate reality, truth, you are moving closer to a heart that is kind and loving. <laughs> Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth. It matters what you believe. It matters what you believe about sex. It matters what you believe about education, about philosophy, about music, about entertainment. It matters what you believe and it will affect your choices and you will reap the consequences. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians to test everything and hold fast to what is good. I 
am going to encourage each one of you to question what I have to say. To question God, to question the Bible, not as the skeptic who's saying, nana nana nana, I can't hear you, but as the person who is testing all things to see what is good. You know, reality can be tested. If someone is selling you a bar of gold and he knows it's genuine, he has nothing to fear if you put that gold into the fire. But the person who is selling you gold-plated, fake gold-plated wax, he starts seeing you put that into the fire, he's going to freak out. No, no, just believe me, it's true. I can encourage each one of you to question, to test the claims about the God of the Bible. To question what I have to say. To question, is Jesus who he says he is? Is the Bible God's word? Because I believe that's reality. And I believe that will stand up to the testing. How do you know if something is true? Any ideas? Facts? Yeah. So, it's reality. The way we can tell if something is true, there's a few reasons. If it lines up with what we experience, that's one way to tell if it's true. If, it, if someone gives you good reasons for believing, you, you can tell if something is true if... Like, we see this. You see that screen. You know that screen is real. But let's say you were blind from birth, you never saw that screen. Is it possible the screen exists even though you can't see it? Absolutely. So the atheists say God can't exist because we don't experience him with the five senses. But just like it's possible for there to be a reality that the blind person knows nothing about, it's possible that atheists have a type of spiritual blindness. And just because they don't feel or experience God does not mean that God is real. Now, if you were blind, there's some things you have to take on faith. And the best way to take something on faith is to find a reliable authority. How many of you have been to Canada? How many of you have not been to Canada? Now, someone could say, look, in Alberta, it's nothing but igloos. They do nothing but ride on snowmobiles. That's not true. We, we have paved highways. The weather is very similar to what you guys experience here. I live in Canada. So if, if there was a debate between someone standing here trying to tell you that it's igloos and they do nothing but smoke marijuana, while they chase their dog sleds. And me telling you something completely different. You don't have the experience to prove which of us is correct. You would have to test the authority. Start asking questions. First of all, has one of us actually experienced Canada? Or are we just relaying what we've heard? Do, are we, are one of us on drugs all the time? Or are we actually experiencing like, are we honest? Can we tell, are we telling the truth? Or are we prone to lying? 
These are the things you've got to ask about the authority telling you things. Does they know, do they know what they're talking about? Are they reliable? Were they just themselves deceived? Those are the things. I am going to argue that the way we can know ultimate truth is that there is a God, a God who has revealed himself in creation. That's going to be our session tomorrow morning, looking at evidence for the existence of God. We're also going to look at tomorrow the objection, how can there be a good God when there is so much evil and suffering in the world? Tomorrow night we are going to look at, has this God spoken or are we just guessing? Do all religions have a part of this God? Are we all like the blind men, all feeling the same evidence of the elephant but interpreting the elephant in a different way? One grabs the tail and says, this is a rope. Another grabs the tusk and says, this is a spear. Another touches the side and says, no, it's a wall. See, some people say that's what all religions are like. They're all just experiencing the same God in different ways. But in that story, the elephant is silent. Has God spoken? I believe that God has revealed himself in the pages of his word. He's revealed himself in the pages of nature. He's revealed himself in the pages of his word. We're going to look at evidence that the Bible is reliable. Then I were going to say, I believe that God has revealed himself by entering history in human form to deal with the problems caused by our false realities. After that, I want to bring you guys to a decision. I want to establish that Jesus Christ is ultimate reality. And I want to bring you to a decision where you either choose to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you willfully walk away into your own unrealities. After that, my wife is going to give a session talking about her sister Katrina, who when Heidi was 17, Katrina, who was 19, at a Christian college, after struggling with, after Katrina struggled with eating disorders and pornography, shocked the Wall family by committing suicide. Heidi's going to tell Katrina's story and the things she's since learned. After that, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about relationships and sexual purity. We're going to tell our story, what we learned in our own years through those single years. Then I want to spend some time looking specifically what does God's Word say about how we should date what our romantic relationship should look like. And towards the end of the week, I want to set you guys on fire for a mission for God to fulfill your purposes in advancing His kingdom. We're going to look a little bit at abortion and homosexuality and the different issues of our day that need your help. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you are so kind. And I am just uh, simple, fallible, so prone to error. Weak person, Lord, I am so often carried away by my emotions. And there's times I enter unreality and I forget about you. I don't know if you're there. And I just want so much that 
as we explore this concept of truth and ultimate reality, that it wouldn't rely on my ability to be persuasive or to be interesting or to keep these people awake, but that your Holy Spirit would come down and you would be the one who leads us and guides us into all truth, Lord, that you would soften these hearts, that you would open the eyes, and that we would embrace you as the good and kind ultimate reality. Thank you, Lord.